Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. March is National Traumatic Brain Injury Awareness Month. What exactly is a traumatic brain injury, and why is this something that we should all be concerned about? Someone you know and love might have experienced this, and sometimes it can be mild enough that people can recover, or it can be fairly severe and lead to some chronic, lifelong issues. So today we're going to be educated by my newfound friend, Dr. Timothy Rowe. He has been at the Rehab Hospital of the Pacific for almost 20 years. Previous to that, he was in a practice in Texas. And so you are going to tell me all about traumatic brain injury, Dr. Rowe, and why this is something that we should be concerned about, aware of, and hopefully trying to prevent. So thank you for joining me on The Body Show. Well, thank you for having me. I, I think this is an important topic to talk about. Uh, you know, one of the problems with traumatic brain injury is that it uh, oftentimes is preventable, and uh, which is why we really want to focus on uh, brain injury awareness, prevention of brain injury, um, because the uh, aftermath of brain injury can be very serious. Um, even in what we call mild traumatic brain injury or concussion, uh, I think there's an increased awareness that, uh, that you know, the injuries can uh, be cumulative and that they can have lifelong um, complications. And so it's a very uh, important uh, topic to be uh, cognizant of, particularly for those um, who are uh, elderly, uh, because uh, one of the major risk factors for uh, traumatic brain injury is um, age, particularly age over 65. Um, but also another risk factor is uh, being young, uh, because oftentimes uh, you know, children and adolescents uh, engage in behaviors that can result in traumatic brain injury. And so uh, awareness is a key part of trying to prevent these things from occurring. So it kind of has this bimodal distribution. You've got the young folks who might be playing sports where they get injured or doing some other sort of activity on their own where they could have a head injury, concussion, et cetera. But then you also mentioned that do not forget that another risk factor is being over 65. Let's talk about that young group first, and then we'll talk about the older individuals who might be at risk. So the first thing I think about when I think about young folks who might be at risk for concussion would be some of the sports, you know, we know about some of the issues regarding uh, youth football. And then also, I think there's some unusual things that that I've heard about over the years where, you know, women's cheerleading, that's a risk for people actually falling, injuring themselves and having these symptoms of concussion. What is the difference between a simple concussion versus where we call it like traumatic brain injury? When does it become more of an issue? Well, you know, a lot of it depends on the uh, circumstances that lead to the injury. So the, the mechanism of injury, um, you know, typically the more severe injuries are, call, are caused uh, when, uh, you know, there, there's an acceleration in, in, in the head as, as it strikes an object. So with a motor vehicle accident or the fall from a greater height um, or, if, uh, the, um, or if the person, it, it, their head is unprotected. So, you know, not wearing a helmet while skateboarding or, or while you know, riding a scooter, those types of things. Uh, so there are a lot of risk factors that affect the severity uh, of, of the injury. Um, but it really does relate to uh, the force of the, of the blow to the head, um, the velocity that the head is moving, um, and then other factors, particularly with the, the elderly, in that an aging brain, um, it gets a little stiffer. Um, the brain does shrink a little bit with age, and uh, as a result, it becomes more vulnerable to even relatively uh, minor um, blows. And so for an elderly person, e- even a, a, a 
you know, a, a minor blow to the head can result in a fairly serious injury. So how would you know that someone has this? I mean, I would think in a younger population, you may, they may tell you I hit my head. They may self-present. They may have some slight changes in their ability to interact and or their speech or something might tell you that it happened or they might tell you. When we talk about some of the older folks, that sounds like it would be a much more subtle distinction to make. Um, it, it can be difficult, and, and I think there's an increased awareness of that, particularly with the student-athletes. Uh, and I think it, it's very positive that uh, you know the high school coaches, the athletic trainers, the parents themselves are becoming more aware of, uh, of the risk, uh, particularly for the mild traumatic brain injury, um, in which there may only be some subtle changes in regards to you know, perhaps uh, you know, an injury occurs, and then uh, for a, a short time, they may have a very brief loss of consciousness. Or uh, the victim may have, you know, just, uh, you may feel dazed, may not be able to, you know, answer questions uh, appropriately for a short time. Their speech may be slightly slurred. They may have slight changes in their vision. Um, so these things, you know, they just call, oh, you know, that, that person rung their bell. You know, boy, my bell got rung. Um, well, you know, that's not really it. It's actually, it is a, it's, it's a brain injury, and, it, and it's causing a, the, the brain function to be disordered. Um, and uh, the, the real threat for particularly uh, athletes or others who are involved in risky types of behavior is that there is a cumulative effect as well that we're becoming more aware of. You know, and most famous, famously in, in NFL um, but, you know, that's also true in other sports like boxing, but even in, in sports like soccer, uh, you know, where, you know, they're striking the ball with their head. Um, sports like gymnastics, where you know, falls, unfortunately, do occur, you know, sometimes from, from significant heights. Um, you know, so being aware of the nature of these injuries and the risks involved is one of the first key things um, uh, when these do occur. So we talked a little bit about prevention. If you do play a sport where you need to wear a helmet to do so, if you're skateboarding to do so to protect yourself. But some of the sports you mentioned, helmets are not part of that. I don't see that in gymnastics or in soccer or some of those other sorts of activities. Should we be looking at doing more to protect the brain in some of these vulnerable situations or... Is that just not something we're going to see happen? Well, I think there's, there is increased advocacy for that, um, particularly for uh, younger athletes. Um, you know, this, uh, this cumulative effect is something um, that's you know, being studied very closely. Um, but obviously, if you have someone who is involved in competitive sports at a young age, you know, you have, you know, this, uh, you know, the one factor being, you know, being their youth and then also a much greater extended period of time where they're being engaged in that sport. And so, you know, both of those factors can contribute to, um, you know, the, the you know, more serious injuries and then also the cumulative effect over time. So that really sounds like it's truly taking a look at what sport you play, trying to be extra careful to prevent accidental injuries, protecting yourself depending on what the structure is of that sport, but also doing it safely. And you mentioned athletic trainers and physical, the people who are physical therapists or, or who might be available the sports trainers, et cetera, they may actually be able to help guide people in how to do some of these activities in a safer fashion. So for, I would imagine if you're engaging in a sport, it might be easier or at least a little bit, I don't want to say easy, but you could take some precautionary efforts. I often think for the folks who are over 65, a lot of the issues that they have might be related to balance. So if you hit your head because you lose your balance, that's really accidental. I mean, it's it's not like you're putting yourself into a football game where potentially you might have an injury. 
What are some of the things that the elderly can do to prevent these sorts of issues? Well, the one thing to keep in mind with the elderly in particular is falls are the most common cause of brain injury in uh, in patients over 65. And so, um, you know, so think, don't fall down yeah. if you can avoid it. And so, okay. and so, being aware of some of the risk factors that can lead to falls, you know, uh, along with poor balance, um, elderly people may be more prone to having visual impairments. Um, it, also, environmental issues in regards to their home um, tend to become issues. So, things like you know, loose rugs, um, you know, needing to you know, climb up and down a lot of stairs. You know, the, the, they're all things that, that can lead to increased risk for falls. And so by making some home modifications, for instance, you know, maybe some um, uh, putting uh, the uh, guardrails in, the, in, in bathing areas, uh, removing loose rugs, improving the lighting in the home, all those things can help to reduce the uh, risk for a fall that could result in a serious injury. Um, also maintaining the physical conditioning. Uh, as uh, you know, people get uh, more elderly, they, they tend to lose uh, muscle strength, um, and uh, they tend to lose some of their cardiopulmonary conditioning. And so maintaining that uh, muscle strength and cardiopulmonary conditioning, uh, it, uh, it may, may pre- prevent a fall. It may also help to reduce the severity of a fall. So if someone is, is, you know, maintains a, a, an active lifestyle, and they, they keep their muscle mass. You know, if they do find themselves having a loss of balance episode, they're going to be more able to, um, to steady themselves um, and, and prevent a more serious fall. Well, that's definitely words that we can all take and wisdom that we can all use in our own homes. Even if you're not over 65, nobody wants to fall. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Timothy Rowe from the Rehabilitation Hospital of the Pacific. And March is National Traumatic Brain Injury Awareness Month. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about what are those signs and symptoms and what sorts of things do you want to consider doing should you be someone who's had traumatic brain injury or someone you love who might have been in that situation. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Timothy Rowe. He is a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician from the Rehabilitation Hospital of the Pacific, and he's been there almost two decades, just to age you a little bit. And uh, prior to that was in practice in Texas and really has a great knowledge about what sorts of things could put people at risk for having what we as in the medical world call TBI or traumatic brain injury. And why is this important? Right before the break, we talked a bit about prevention, some of the things that kids can do. The other risk group happens to be those that are older. So making your environment safer so that you can avoid things like accidental falls or injuries that could result in this cumulative effect. Now, you know, Dr. Rowe, you mentioned that for kids, you have to be really careful. It's a growing brain, and you don't want to have this repetitive injury because it could impact a lot of different areas, you know, schoolwork and, and also impact their ability to learn. And there's other long-term impacts with cumulative numbers of concussions. What are some of the risks for people who are in the over 65 group? Does it Do these types of problems lead to earlier diagnoses of dementia? Um, it. Yeah, so there's uh, you know a lot of uh, medical conditions that really um, can play into 
the traumatic brain injury. You know, certainly uh, patients who, for instance, um, suffer from diabetes uh, may have developed a diabetic peripheral neuropathy, uh, which means... They can't feel their feet. You know, they, they, yeah, they, they, they lose the sense of their feet, and, and which makes it more likely that they can fall. Um, and the severity of a traumatic brain injury in an elderly person, if they have other medical conditions... It can lead to very complicated hospital course. Uh, you know the uh, you know the conditions that led to the fall. Um, you know may have been medical on their own, and then the head injury on top of other medical conditions can lead to even further complications. Um, and uh, you know the um, accelerating of uh, memory loss associated with dementia um, is something that can definitely occur um, due to uh, due to the the damage from a traumatic brain injury. Which kind of gets to the idea of not all dementia is Alzheimer's. There's different types of problems with memory. So to get the correct diagnosis is really important. I mean, I think 20-some years ago when we didn't have the ability to do some of the testing we do now, everyone might have been lumped into one category. But now we're finding that it's really important to differentiate what type of issues might have led to this memory impairment. Because it could be, like you mentioned, it could be repetitive falls, traumatic brain injury, other medical conditions that contributed to this or that accelerate the process. And really getting the correct diagnosis to provide the most appropriate treatment would be optimal. Well, that's correct. And it's particularly important now that it, it does appear that uh, – more effective treatments for Alzheimer's dementia are emerging and are likely to emerge in the coming years uh, because you can also have uh, dementia, loss of memory due to uh, multiple strokes or so-called multi-infarct dementia. Uh, you can um, there, you have memory loss that has been associated with what they're, they're now calling uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is the, re the recurring uh, the recurrent uh, head injuries um, often seen in particularly professional athletes. Um, so the the cause of the underlying memory loss needs to be established so that the treatment can be effective. You know what what appears will be effective for Alzheimer's into the future uh, is not likely to be as effective for patients with other types of uh, memory loss. Now, what are some of the things that the Rehabilitation Hospital of the Pacific does for people who are referred to them? for traumatic brain injury, because it really is a subset of therapy and, and rehabilitation that's kind of specialized because it's so specific to the actual injury to the individual. And then there are certain things that are different than what someone might do in another physical therapy type setting. So as a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician, how do you go about evaluating someone and what sort of things are available to help them? Well, we have a, a number of treatment modalities. You know, the patients that come to a rehab hospital uh, with brain injury tend to have suffered um, more severe brain injuries. So they're in the category that we would call the moderate traumatic brain injury or severe traumatic brain injury. Um, as a result of those injuries, they have very um, complex uh, problems in regards to their thought processes, uh, ability to follow commands, uh, memory impairment. Uh, they can also have physical involvement with, uh, you know, weakness, uh, or increased muscle tone, um, bowel and bladder incontinence, uh, problems with speech and swallow. So uh, the patients are very uh, complicated, and they require, um, you know, really a team-based treatment approach. You know, the Rehab Hospital Pacific is the only um, acute medical rehabilitation hospital in the state, and so we have a great responsibility in providing care for, for patients with this type of condition. Uh, it requires a team-based approach. We have uh, physician-led teams with uh, nurses, with therapists, um, with our um, neuropsychologists, 
um, all really focused on maximizing the recovery for patients who have very complex conditions, uh, such as traumatic brain injury. So it takes that entire team. I can envision that, you know, the physician may be making recommendations on what sorts of therapies might be necessary and then also what sort of medical treatment needs to be continued for blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, whatever the other medical conditions are while they're undergoing the treatment that they need. And then you're right, it takes the neuropsychologist, it takes the physical therapist, it takes the nursing staff, kind of everyone to be on the same page to know exactly how to address the challenges that these individuals may have. Do you have any, I'm sure over the last almost two decades, there are some folks that stick out in your mind as examples of people that have improved because they've had these types of interventions. Any success stories that you'd like to share? Oh, many. And, and I think, you know, some of my, uh, you know, I, I spent my career uh, treating uh, patients primarily with stroke and traumatic brain injury. Um, I trained at Rancho, Rancho Los Amigos in Los Angeles, which has been a, a top brain injury center for decades. Um, so, I, you know, I've had quite a few patients that stand out. And, and I think the ones that really stand out have been uh, the uh, children and young adults, um, typically uh, injured in a motor vehicle accident. Um, and I think because, uh, on the one hand, you know, it's really painful to see a, a child or young adult with so much potential having such a serious injury, but then being able to have the privilege of watching them recover. Um, I had one a patient in Texas. Uh, she was involved in a motor vehicle accident um, as a passenger. Uh, she uh, impacted her head on the windshield, um, suffered a severe traumatic brain injury when she uh, came uh, to us, when I first started treating her, she was in coma, um, had severe spasticity, um, had very uh, complex medical problems, and uh, we uh, worked with her in a comprehensive rehab program for well over two years. Um, she ultimately uh, returned back to school. Uh, she uh, graduated from high school as a valedictorian of her class. Wow. Uh, she did continue to have uh, some impairments. Uh, she required the use of a voice synthesizer uh, because she uh, lost uh, much of her, her speech, although uh, ultimately I'm told that that did re return over time uh, to a certain extent. Um, but despite all of her problems, uh, she was just you know, one of the strongest patients I've ever had. and It was an amazing recovery uh, from uh, a girl who really uh, could have been killed from her injuries but uh, went on to survive and to thrive. That's just inspirational. I hope that somehow she gets to hear that because it's those folks that get better in such a dramatic fashion, even if it takes a long time, that inspire us to stay in medicine and to continue to do what we try and do every day. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Timothy Rowe. He is a physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist. And when we come back, we're going to be talking some more about what are some of the things that can be done for those people who might need that team-based approach and what can their family and loved ones also do to support them along the journey. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Timothy Rowe from the Rehabilitation Hospital of the Pacific. And we're talking today about traumatic brain injury. March is National Traumatic Brain Injury Awareness Month. And the reason we need to be aware of that is to work on preventing having these types of injuries, but also to know about some of the treatment options that are available right here locally at home and some nationally recognized options. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Rowe, but I think Rehabilitation Hospital of the Pacific has some significant recognition as being an an advanced facility that is top in Hawaii, but also recognizable throughout the United States. Yes, we have received national recognition uh, via the uh, Uniform Data System for Medical Rehabilitation, which is sort of our national database. Uh, We uh, have been ranked uh, in uh, the top 10% of rehab hospitals in the country based on our clinical outcomes uh, and you know on a peer-to-peer comparison. Um, so that's something that we strive for every year. It's a real challenge. It's kind of like going to the Super Bowl every year. Um, but uh, it, it is something that we're very proud of. And uh, it really is the result of our team-based approach and uh, everyone working together, really focused on particularly patients with these kind of complex uh, you know, disorders um, who require an intensive level of rehabilitative care. And it's something you should be proud of because that is not an easy designation to get to continue to be that high in the rankings. And as you mentioned, it's because of that comprehensive approach that we're able to bring this to those people who live right here in the islands. Are there any particular island-based activities that might put someone at an increased risk? I I somehow think of like uh, surfers and big waves and or other types of outdoor injuries that might be unique to the islands that Rehab Hospital of the Pacific has to learn how to handle because it's not something you might have seen elsewhere. Yeah, we do see it, and, and, and many uh, of these types of injuries are outdoor-related. So uh, we, we tend to see, you know, obviously a lot of falls, uh, hikers falling off trails. Um, surfers are um, prone to injury, both uh, in terms of head injuries as well as spinal cord injuries. Um, you know, we also, uh, not really related to traumatic brain injury, but we, we see a, a large number of near drownings. And that can cause uh, what's called an anoxic brain injury, which are also quite uh, challenging to treat. Um, So there are some unique uh, aspects of uh, providing care uh, here in the islands, uh, mostly due to, you know, our beautiful weather and the active lifestyle of the people who live here. Now, we've talked a little bit about when someone is in an acute inpatient setting. So that team-based approach to have all those folks help them while they need to be in the hospital. One of the things that hopefully happens for a lot of those folks is they eventually get to go home. Are there also outpatient rehabilitation facilities available so that people can take advantage of that and still go to the main location, but not necessarily have to stay there and be an inpatient? Oh, sure. Um, There are a number of of very qualified therapy providers uh, in the state. Uh, Of course, uh, Rehab Hospital, we we do focus on uh, conditions such as traumatic brain injury. So we continue with that team-based approach, even on an outpatient setting. And that's particularly important for the patients with with the more severe injuries. You know, we want to get them back into the community, and uh, one of the uh, aspects of that is that the patients need mobility, and some patients with traumatic brain injury may not be able to resume walking. And so uh, we have a wheelchair seating and mobility clinic, which is uh, established to uh, ensure that if our patients need special wheelchair prescriptions, that we're going to be able to provide that for them. Uh, Some patients, uh, and this is particularly true with traumatic brain injury, uh, they may require adaptive controls. Uh, They may not be able to, for instance, use a joystick. And so we need to be able to adapt the wheelchair so that they can um, go get back out into the community, have full mobility, 
and you know resume a, a productive and happy happy life. Um, also, you know the homes here in Hawaii can sometimes be difficult. You know we are kind of an up and down uh, city and an up and down state, and that means a lot of stairs. It means multi level homes, and so those can be a challenge for people with disabilities. And so we will need to get into the home and give them advice in regards to you know do they need to widen their doorways? Do they need to put in uh, you know, some kind of chairlift? Um, you know, how can they modify their homes to make them more accessible by wheelchair? Those types of things uh, we deal with on a regular basis. And that that just sounds like a comprehensive an evaluation that you need to do because I just a lot of folks live in places that have a lot of stairs. I mean, if you live in a condominium, then that might be separate if there's an elevator. But there's a lot of places, you know, where the hillside, you see it all the time. So I can imagine that might be difficult for families to be able to to figure out what to do. And then I would, you know, great that Rehab Hospital of the Pacific can give people advice on how to make their home adaptable to get those folks back to the community like like you mentioned. What are the long-term strategies to help people who have had traumatic brain injuries sort of reintegrate themselves? Do some of those folks get back to work again to some sort of capacity where they can engage in, in employment and, and hopefully support themselves? Oh, sure. Uh, you know, Depending on the severity of the injury, it's very possible for them to return. You know, Part of uh, the, the uh, rehab process is really very clearly uh, assessing the patient's conditions. You know, what what uh, areas of, of, of deficit or damage do they have? What, what are the things that they're capable of doing? And how can they make adaptations uh, so that they can then get back into the workplace, whether it's, you know, through you know, different use of a computer, whether it's adaptive modifications to their automobile. Um, you know, there's uh, traumatic brain injury in particular. You know, everyone, every one of the patients is very unique just due to the nature of their own injury. And so it really takes a comprehensive assessment. And then having a center that's able to, um, to approach the, the patient from a variety of angles to really make sure that their care has been optimized and that their recovery is, um, is maximal. Are there any educational efforts that are taking place locally that incorporate some of the work that people are doing on the mainland and the great stuff we're doing at Rehab Hospital of the Pacific for patient education or just public education? Well, sure. The uh, uh, Brain Injuries Association of America um, is one of our partners, um, the, the Hawaii branch, um, and we have uh, support groups that meet twice a month um, at Rehab Hospital. Uh, one is on uh, Wednesday evenings, the other is on Saturday. Um, and a big part of that is really to help to smooth that transition into the home, providing the family with uh, the education, the additional support. You know, sometimes there are things that emerge uh, only over time after a patient has been home that, that needs some intervention. Uh, but then also just, you know, creating a sense of community uh, so that these patients um, understand that, you know, the re- that the rehab hospital is there for them and that, uh, they're, that they are important members of the community and that, you know, that's where we want them to be and to stay safely is in the community uh, being happy and productive. And getting back to that, to a new baseline for them. You know, when you have these sorts of injuries, it's not something that you can recover from overnight in a lot of cases. Oh, oh that's right. Particularly with the, the moderate and severe traumatic brain injuries, you know, the, a multi-year recovery course is not unusual at all. I mean, they are very complex injuries and it requires a real comprehensive approach. But the thing is, is that patients can have very good recoveries f- uh, from these injuries. And so it, it's a matter of working with the families, you know, ensuring that the, the families are stable as well, 
uh, that you know things like the home modifications can get done so that the patients can be living you know with their families in the community and then having a sense of patience but also you know, providing comprehensive services that that will meet their needs over time including things like wellness services which we're developing out you know things like aqua therapy uh, you know cardiopulmonary conditioning courses so that you know that over time as issues come up they don't necessarily need to come in as inpatients they don't even need necessarily receive outpatient therapy but we provide them a place where they can come and you know we they can work on things that they want to see improved. I've seen the pool at Rehab of the Pacific, yeah. and it's really designed extremely well and opens up to the outside. And, I mean, it made me want to go swimming, even though I was just there to visit the rehab services. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today and explaining about some of what is a traumatic brain injury, but also what are some of the ways that they can be treated. Dr. Timothy Rowe from Rehabilitation Hospital Pacific, thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. Well, and this is one of those topics that we can certainly talk about again and really increase the education for the local community, but also highlight some of the great facilities that we have available right here at home if you have any needs or someone you love has unfortunately had a traumatic brain injury. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can go to hawaiipublicradio.org and find our podcast. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. Woo!